We are making our way at this point in worship through a book of the New Testament, Galatians. It's a letter by the Apostle Paul and uh, quite a few of his letters in the New Testament. This is to one, this one is to an, a group of churches in an area called Galatia. And we're just starting chapter 3 this morning, so you can just follow in the, in the bulletin if you don't have a Bible. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 1. I recently read an account of a South Carolina Presbyterian pastor from the 1800s, a pastor in Charleston who was very, very gifted at painting word pictures. Now, you may have had that experience where somebody's telling you a story and they just tell it so well that you can just see what they're describing. It's like you're watching footage of the story. And it's really great when a preacher can do that and, and, and when that's harnessed to, to truth. So this preacher was preaching on the ascension of Jesus Christ. That, that means after Jesus died and rose again, there's a period of 40 days, and then, and then he ascends, ascends into to heaven. And so he ended his sermon by describing Christ finished with the work of dying, finished with the work of living and being righteous for us, dying, rising, and, and coming into his own as the King of Kings in heaven. And he described the receipt of the angels. He described uh, symbols crashing and just these arcs of praises of angels and people. And he described it so vividly. There, there were three ministers that didn't usually worship there, but they were visiting. And they, they wrote an account of this. That when he stopped, when the preacher stopped, he just sat down. And these ministers said, the whole church froze for a minute. That's a long time. And some people were standing by their pew. It's like they could see it. And then you heard this... Like they exhaled and sat back down or creaked in the pew. But they were just transfixed because he painted that picture. Uh, Paul, in this passage that we're about to read, he says, All right, Galatians, when, uh, when I was with you, I and those who were with me, we painted a picture with our words to you. And we painted a picture of something horrible. But it was because that horrible thing has the power to change you. So we painted that picture where you, even though it was something you had never seen in real life, you saw it by hearing and you responded to it. And Paul goes on to say, people have come in behind me since we did that. And they're trying to get you to walk away from staring at that picture that we painted for you. And the fact that they're doing that and the fact that you're letting them, it is almost like they have cast a witchcraft spell on you. And I'm trying to break it. Let's look at what he says. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you are risen and ascended but you ascended because you first descended you were here and in your humiliation and in your weakness when you fasted and you wanted and needed food you reached for the word to even remind yourself that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord and Lord, you know that we need these words, and our souls need to eat. And so please help us to do so as we worship you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. I uh, heard an interview yesterday, just happened to stumble on it, and it was an interview, a podcast interview. The host was a former professor of mine in, in seminary who taught and teaches New Testament. He was interviewing a woman, and her area of expertise is literature and really reading, and reading well and how that can impact you. And she's also something of a public theologian. So she's the kind of person that when, uh, when the Atlantic needs a Christian perspective on something, they might approach her and ask for her take on something as a Christian intellectual thinker. In case you didn't know what intellectual meant, it's a, it's a thinker. I just wanted to <laughs> clarify that. But uh, she was talking about the power of good stories. And, of course, she brought up Jesus using those powerful stories in the form of parables. And, uh, and she said, and the, and the thing about parables as great stories is that they don't just give you this little Aesop's fable and here you go. But they'll get you. Sometimes they get you at the end. And she said, she brought up the one of the parable of the laborers in the vineyard or the workers in the vineyard. And the host said, oh, I tell my classes, that's the passage we love to hate. Now, I'm not going to preach on this parable, but let me just mention what it's about. It's in Matthew chapter 20. It's toward the end of Jesus' ministry that he tells this story. And you got this man, either the owner of a vineyard or he's the the steward, the manager of a vineyard. So he's got to hire people. Goes out dawn, pre-dawn, hires a bunch of people, says, I'll I'll pay you denarius, work today. Denarius is a day's wages for a laborer. They say, okay, they go out. He goes out mid-morning, hires some folks. Goes out noon, hires some folks. Goes out mid-afternoon, hires some folks. Then it says, and then he goes out the 11th hour. Now, in Jewish reckoning, that would be 5 p.m. And it doesn't say if he told them, oh, I'll pay you denarius. He he said, what what are you doing standing around? He said, no one's hired us. He said, come work in this vineyard. They work, so they maybe worked, I don't know, 30 minutes and so this, this master of the vineyard, he pays in reverse order. So he starts paying the last hired. 
So these people that maybe work 30 minutes, he pays them a denarius. Well, the guys who started way back before the sun came up are thinking, oh man, if he paid, if he paid them a denarius for that little work, we're going to get paid a lot. And they get there and he pays them a denarius like he committed to. And it hacks them off. And they grumble and he says, do I not have the right to be gracious with my things? And of course, what Jesus is pushing on is, this is not a wise strategy for how to do your life. But what about that person that lives this just wicked, they did every bad thing they wanted to. And then 10 minutes before they died, God brings that person to himself. And they come into the same heaven that these people that worked so hard and suffered so much for Jesus, they come into the same heaven. Doesn't that kind of get you a little bit? And Jesus wants it to. So he tells a story where it pushes on that thing. Because the thing it's pushing on is, you know, I did work hard. And that's just about a hair's breadth away from, I mean, I contributed something. And man, then we have problems. Uh, Paul repeatedly, this is not a long passage, brings up faith and believing. And those look a little bit different in English, but in the original, they, they, you can see these are it's like the verb and the noun form of the same root. Believing is faith. Faith is believing. Brings it up seven times in a short passage. And here's the thing. Here's the drum he's beating on for the Galatians, and really for us, and it's this. The blessings you have from Almighty God, the blessings you have from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you have them through faith. Does he care about obedience? Absolutely. But do you have what you have because of your obedience. You have what you have through faith. And here's two he's going to harp on. And these are my two points. Through faith. Now I'm not assuming everybody in the room has faith. And if you're here and you don't know if you have faith. Or you know that you don't have faith. I, I'm so glad you're here. But I want you to hear what Paul is saying. That believers have. Not because of what they did. Through faith we have the Spirit. Through faith we have the Spirit. And through faith we have the new identity. The Spirit and the new identity. Now let's start off with the Spirit. Um, what, do we, what does Paul mean by the Spirit? You know, we're coming up on Christmas. And Christmas gets real spirity. And no one really defines it. You know, Spirit of the holidays, Spirit of Christmas, Spirit of joy. Like, I, to, can we get a definition on what this is? It may just mean Spirit of feeling awesome. That's not how Paul uses the word spirit. Okay, for Paul, he means the spirit of God, the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let me use our Presbyterian catechism to get into some mysteries. <clears throat> and this is calling a lot of scripture to come to this. But there's a question in our catechism. That's a, that's a question and answer teaching device. And it asks the question, how many persons are in God? And the answer is going to say, there's not three gods. There's what, that, that's core biblical truth. There's one God. There are three persons who are that God. And if you're new to this and you go, how can three persons be one God? Welcome to the mystery. 
If you feel like the gears in your mind are going, eh, 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 that, that's what it does. There are three persons in the Godhead. This is the catechism. The Father, the Son, because it was written in the 1640s, it says the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, now get this part, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Now here's what the catechism just said on the basis of God's word. God the Holy Spirit is not less God than God the Father and God the Son. God the Holy Spirit is equal in power and glory. If if I can put it this way, he has just as much godness as God the Father and God the Son. Let me quote a really ancient Christian creed, and that's the Nicene Creed. Been around since the 300s, embraced by Christian traditions all over the world. When it gets to the Holy Spirit, the Nicene Creed says, Who, he's not an it, he's a he, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. And you may be new to this, or you may have been around it for a while, but did you know that biblically it is not just permissible, it is right and good to worship the Holy Spirit and love Him and enjoy Him and obey Him because He's fully God. Now, when Paul says the Spirit, that's who he means. Now, just to go from kind of amazing thing to amazing thing, Going back here in the Old Testament, and if you're new, this is always the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. This is the past. This is the future. Okay, way back here, a lot of biblical history. God's people come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're living in tents. They're in the wilderness. They don't have houses. So God, in his love and condescension, he lives in his tent in the middle of all their tents, the tabernacle. They come out of the wilderness. They come into the promised land. Now they can't have houses. God in his love lives in a house in the middle of all their houses. That's the temple in Jerusalem. God's house. But then you go further and Jesus comes along. And he says this actually standing right by the temple in Jerusalem. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. And of course everyone thinks he's nuts. Because it took years and years, decades to build that building. It's going to get destroyed, and you're going to personally rebuild it in three days. And the gospel writers say, he's talking about his body. Meaning, now God dwelling in his people's midst is not in the tent or in the house. He's in the flesh living in their midst. He dies, he rises, he ascends into heaven. Now where's God's house? And the New Testament says, when the Holy Spirit is poured out by the risen Lord Jesus Christ, he inhabits his people. And guess what? We're the house. And every time a new believer is inhabited by the Holy, the Holy Spirit, inhabited by God, he's in the house. God's in his house. And this person is part of the household of God. Now, that happened to the Galatians. Now, picture, you grew up Gentile. You didn't grow up at vacation Bible school. You grew up pagan. And somebody comes and verbally paints that picture of Jesus Christ crucified. And it's awful. And it's the answer 
to your sin and guilt that your pagan gods can't take care of. And you hear and you believe and the Holy Spirit comes. And then somebody's trying to walk you away from that picture. And, and Paul says, what, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. How did the Spirit come to you? Look in verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Was there something you did for the Holy Spirit to make you his house? No. How did he make you his house? The picture was painted. You heard the gospel and you believed. You have it through faith. And then it's almost as if Paul says, all right, so how do you keep having the Holy Spirit? Really, in a way, he's asking, how do you stay Christian? That's an, well, that's always an interesting question. There's a lot more talk these days about deconversion. How do you stay Christian? Okay, he's still asking the questions. Verse 3, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, your efforts, your contribution. Verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, just for review, Paul and his contemporaries, they went into these Galatian areas, preached the gospel, people believed, churches started, they left, someone came in after Paul and said, okay, yes, do you believe in Jesus? That's how your sins are forgiven and If this is going to be the real deal, essentially, you must become more Jewish. Uh, Men need to be circumcised, need to keep the kosher food, maybe implications for days days and years and seasons. Like, essentially, you need to become Jewish because the people of God have always been Jewish. So believe in the Messiah and become more Jesus. (laughs) More Jesus. You should become more Jesus. That's not what they're saying. Your Honor, scratch that from the record. Become more Jewish. Paul says, all right, please listen. If someone comes in and says to you, believe in Jesus, now you've got your get into heaven card, now for the rest of your life, living of life, stop breaking the, the rules, stop sinning, and keep the rules, keep the Torah and you're good. Paul says that is another gospel. And that's not even how you received the Holy Spirit. Now let me bring it up to now. Um, let's change. I'm going to stop fiddling with this. I'm sorry. Let's change the terminology. Instead of saying sin and works of the law, sin sin and Torah. Let's say, if somebody comes along and says, all right, you understand? You can't earn your way into heaven. Christ has to die for you, pay for your sin. Do you understand that? Yes. Do you understand that's how you get into heaven? Yes. He's the only Savior? Yes. Okay, now let's talk about how you're going to change for the rest of your life. The way you're going to change is you stop sinning and you keep these biblical principles. If you'll do that, stop sinning and keep these biblical principles, you'll be good. That's the same thing. And some of you might, just in your insides, might have gone, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. We are supposed to keep those biblical principles. Oh, yes. But here's the deal. Are you doing, again, not if you're not a Christian, 
But if you're here and you're a professing Christian, are, the way you're doing life and following God, does there even need to be a Holy Spirit? Because the way every religion in the world works is to say, here's, here's the things that, if you do this, you're breaking the rules. Don't break those rules. Whatever form that is. Here's the rules that we keep to like be in and know that things are good and we're going to get the life that we want. Keep those rules and the God will be pleased with you. That's how all the religions work. But here's something that's supernatural and radically different is to say, the way God's going to change you, not just keep you, but change you and transform you, is he's going to inhabit you. And you will not just have a relationship with this God, but the God that you're in relationship with will live in you and buckle in. C.S. Lewis, in one place, he said, you know, I loved my mother, but when I had a toothache, I would never tell her because she would take me to the dentist. He said, and you, if you, we have a lot of dentists in this church. You go to a dentist... And they just won't leave well enough alone. They'll start looking at other things and finding other problems. I mean, that sounds like the work of the Holy Spirit. You let him in. It's not just going to be like, okay, I'll stop lying and I'll keep the truth. Or I'll stop committing adultery and I'll be sexually pure. It's, do you love? Do you have joy? Do you have real peace between not just you and God, you and others? Are you patient? Ugh. All the rest. Do you have self-control? Or are you managing God by minimizing disobedience and maximizing obedience? That's how all the world religions work. Paul says, FYI, that is not the gospel. Um, I, I will just say this because I feel like I'd be asleep at the wheel if I didn't say it in our context and after pastoring here for a while. I don't have any one person in mind, no one church in mind, no one group in mind. But I will just tell you anecdotally that the worst spiritual wreckage I have ever seen are from people who grew up with the teaching, stop sinning and do the right thing and you'll be who you should be. It is toxic. It sounds biblical and smart. Paul says what they're saying is, all right, you got, you got your final glimpse of, of him up there. Remember, that's how you get into heaven. All right, walk over here and I'll tell you what to do. Toxic. You have the Spirit through faith. And through faith, we have our identity. We have a new identity. It's interesting that Abraham is such a big deal in Galatians because he's a big deal in Judaism and the Galatians are not Jewish. And Paul keeps bringing him up, especially in this chapter, to people who are not Jewish. Why, why is he doing that? Well, look at verse 6. Paul's quoting from Genesis 15. He says, Abraham, quote, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, Here's where that quote is from. Genesis 15, God, okay, the past, God had promised Abraham, I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you more children than descendants than you can imagine. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make you a blessing to the world. And Abraham's already old. He's getting older. His wife is getting old. They have no children. And Abraham receives that. Now, when, he, when God comes to him, he's just a pagan. He didn't grow up in VBS, vacation Bible school. He's a pagan. And God comes to him and says that. 
So it's years later, God comes back to Abraham. No child yet. No land yet. No fulfillment. And he says, Abraham, look at the sky tonight. So, you know, no light pollution, Middle Eastern sky. All right, do you see all the stars? So will your descendants be. And this is really important. And it says, Abraham believed him. It says, he believed him. That means Abraham believed God. And God credited that to him as righteousness. Paul is, is he's, he's almost saying this. Okay, wait. Hold the phone. All right, let's picture Abraham right here under the starry sky. And he takes God at his word. And God counts that as righteousness. Abraham, you're righteous. And it's almost as if Paul says, all right, Abraham, stand there. Grabs a Judaizer, one of these guys that came in behind him that says, believe and do this other stuff. Walks him over and says, all right, ask him your questions. So the Judaizer comes over to Abraham and says, have you been circumcised? And Abraham says, God hasn't told me to do that yet. Are you keeping the works of the law? There's no law yet. God hasn't given the law yet. Are you living by biblical principles? There's no Bible. Why is God saying you're righteous? He just said, I am. I just believed him. And he says, I am. Man. I, I, I'm so indebted to, um, I've never met him, Alistair Begg. He's a pastor, I think in Ohio. And uh, I, I just, I saw this, I don't know how I stumbled on it, a clip of him preaching. I don't know where he was preaching. And, uh, and he, was, he was saying that he really wants to meet, when he gets to heaven, the thief on the cross that got in. And, and he just said, I just want to find him and say, man, you, you never went to a Bible study? You weren't baptized? You, you never knew anything about church membership, and you got in. You got in. How did that shake out when you first came in? And, and you know, Alistair Begg kind of paints this picture of him just like he just died walking into heaven, and an angel saying, what are you doing here? And he said, I, I, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, the angel gets his supervisor to come over, and the supervisor sort of goes through some records and says, all right, well, let me, just, let me get to the bottom of this. Are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I, I've, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, what is your doctrine of Scripture? I, I don't know. Well, what are you doing here? And Alistair Begg said, the guy says, all I know is the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's hard to hang on to. And even when you hear it and you believe it, it leaks out. It just sure feels like, well, that's how I initially got in, but I had to add some things. And... <laughs> As if that wasn't enough, verse 8 says, The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand. That whole phrase, preached the gospel beforehand, that's one Greek verb. It's the only time it's used in the whole New Testament. 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, Paul is saying something remarkable. He says, The gospel was already being proclaimed in Genesis. Now, wait a second. How is that possible? No one's saying Jesus in the book of Genesis? No. But what is being said? Abraham's not a Jew when God comes to him. There's no such thing as a Jew. Jews are named after Judah. That's Abraham's one of his many great-grandsons. He's a pagan. He is a Gentile. And God comes to him uninitiated, or God initiates, uninitiated by Abraham and says, Trust me, and I'll do all these things. And so how does Abraham become the Abraham we know? How does Abraham have what he has? Through faith. And and here's the thing that, that Abraham didn't get to know, but we get to know. Go back to that night sky. Go back to all those stars we can actually see the Milky Way. All those stars. So will your descendants be. Here's what Abraham didn't know that we know. One of those stars... One unique capital S star, he will come and he will make a way not only for all your ethnic descendants who believe like you do to be with me and know me, have their sins taken away, be the people of God, live with me forever. Not only will they have that, but Gentiles that aren't on that starry register right there. They're other stars. They will become your descendants. They will become your children. Like, even though not ethnically, they will really be your sons, Abraham. Here's how Eugene Peterson said it. Please listen to this. I encounter such constant and widespread lying about reality each day and meet with such skilled and systematic distortion of the truth that I'm always in danger of losing my grip on reality. The reality, of course, is that God is sovereign and Christ is Savior. The reality is that prayer is my mother tongue and the Eucharist my basic food. The reality is that baptism, not Myers-Briggs, defines who I am. We think about identity a lot. Some of you have done a deep dive about your identity. And look, think about your past. Think about family patterns. Think about we don't show up in a vacuum. We're affected by what went before us. But also understand this. Through faith, you have a real identity. Your background is not your identity. That's slavery. If you've experienced trauma, that is not your identity. Does it affect you? Big time. Is it your identity? If you're in Christ, no. Is the Enneagram your identity? Is Myers-Briggs your identity? Are your likes and dislikes and strengths and weaknesses your identity? Through faith, here's your identity. God the Father is my Father. He's, if I may put it this way, he's so my father that his son is my older brother and my savior and my king. And God the Holy Spirit lives in me. I am individually his temple and I am part collectively of his global temple. 
And he is at work in us and he is at work in me. That is my identity. I am in the holy Catholic church. How do I have all that? Through faith. Um, let me end with this. You know, we, we stress community groups as a church. And one thing we've tried to do from the beginning is not let these community groups be age and stage. In other words, where everybody's kind of the same age or everybody's sort of going through the same season of life. Ideally, we like variety. And I remember years ago in our community group, we were having a discussion about fear. What fears really get you? And so young, people younger than me, they kind of had their way of, you know, their, their fears. And I think probably mine and Dana's age, it was more things like, will the kids be okay or employment or whatever. But there's one oldest couple in the group, and the wife immediately said, Alzheimer's. I've seen it take family and friends. It makes me afraid. Let me use that as an example to end with some very good news. If you are in Christ, if your faith is in that man on that cross for you, what if you get older, or what if not older? What if early onset your mind comes apart you say and do things that would be unimaginable to you right now what becomes of you you know what you can know you are inhabited by the holy spirit when you have alzheimer's and he's got you he's got you he's got that covered and you remain in the people of god you've been brought into the ancient olive tree and God loves that tree. And no one can change that. But we don't have that through our good disciplines. It is through faith alone. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are powerful. You are almighty God. And really, you alone can work in a heart, open eyes, open ears to, to believe where there hasn't been belief. And Lord God, we pray for anyone who's here this morning, and even as they're hearing this, they've tried to manufacture faith, they want to have faith, but they cannot make it. Lord, would you give that person faith this morning? Simply to take you at your word, to believe you, to find that you credit it as righteousness. Oh, Holy Spirit, indwell them. Bring them into the family of God. And Lord, for we who have believed, we pray that we would not listen to the lies around us or in us. That we would know that we have what we have by grace through faith. And rest in that. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.